that anyone can move. Uh, my name is Katie Fleming, and I am one of three hosts. We have the wonderful and talented Katie Breland, um, who is here with us today. How are you, Katie? I'm so good. How are you, Flynn? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. And then, of course, we have the incredibly talented James Lucius Boyd the Third. We go. Hello. <laughs> There we go. Right. Here we go. Oh my gosh. And today we're going to be talking with Caitlin Hicks to have another wonderful conversation about the Enneagram. Yay! of Anyone Can Move, and we're going to be talking with Caitlin Hicks today. Caitlin, how are you? I'm doing swell. How are you guys? We're doing pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All right, Caitlin, kicking off this conversation about the Enneagram, um, our first question for you is, how has the Enneagram and your study of it, um, like, how did it challenge you in 2020? Um, I think that is a great question. I, it has... It's. I actually just recently finished putting together a funding proposal to um, the graduate school and my department to see if they would help because they give research funding out to graduate students that are working on something towards their capstone project. And so I've been having to write up a bunch of like what this has meant for me and my artistry and I putting it in writing and really thinking about it showed me just kind of on paper how much of my perspective has changed over the past year itself as I've really, really dug into this. And I just think the biggest things that the Enneagram has shaped in my way of thinking is presence, I think most importantly, um, just being present in a moment, present in the self and present around others. Um, which I think has been so hard for me, especially as a seven, because I like to go through life at a hundred miles per hour, just trying to consume, 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 consume. And through my work with the Enneagram and really diving deeper into that and trying to go against that pattern, I've really worked on experiencing as opposed to consuming. And so presence has really, really helped just like it's a daily practice because it's not my default. And my default is like, how can I just like take all of this in, but I'm not actually experiencing it. So I think presence and intentionality, being extremely intentional with what I'm doing, um, what I'm thinking and what I'm thinking about and who I'm with, who I'm around, um, that. And then so much of the Enneagram is about your ego personality and how we can strip that away because our number is this ego personality we've created. And um, so, so much has changed for me when it comes to being able to recognize, taking it back to presence, but being able to recognize in a moment if I'm triggered by something that makes me anxious or irritable, or I feel myself living in my stress point, taking a second to notice how is my ego working? What is my ego telling me right now? And how can I not listen to it? Because it's it, like ego interferes with so much. Ego interferes with how we treat others, how we treat ourselves, how we think about things. And so I think just 
all of that, just really learning to be present. And through my work with Enneagram, I've been able to kind of pinpoint how I, as my type, can work on that because all types can experience presence and work on presence differently. And so it's been how I can. Um, so I think that that has been kind of the central theme of my like mental development over the past year. Yeah. Um, you kind of like there at the end, you were talking about presence, but like, how is that different for each Enneagram type to practice presence? Like, is it kind of by like your triad, like you have the head, the heart, and the triad, or is it like each individual number like processes that this concept of presence differently? Hmm. Interesting. I think maybe it might be um, maybe a little bit of both, but probably at the root of it, more individual based on type, because it's all about the motivation behind, you know, I guess, okay, so using a two, maybe, here we go, Katie Breland, um, as a two, the, um, the basic motivation behind your behavior is to be able to feel lovable and feel loved and appreciated and wanted. And so when we're not present or when a two is not present, they are trying to earn that love and affection by being of service to others. And so I think for a two specifically working on presence, they could work on how to be there for themselves. Like how can I tune into what I need for me? How can I allow myself and give myself permission to take care of me before I take care of others? And that's a two's version of being present as opposed to like a seventh version of being present is how can I be still and be okay in the stillness without feeling like I need to consume all the excitement around me. So I think it's probably, you, it, it depends on your triads because of course it's going to be centered around either your head, heart, or body. But I think it would definitely boil down to individual types because they all have such distinct motivations behind their behavior. Mm. You mentioned it just a few minutes ago, the ego personality. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. Um, some, that was something that was really illuminating for me because I had never really been taught about that until the program that I did. And it just kind of was like a huge light bulb moment um, because it showed me so much of how the Enneagram is trying to get you out of your box and not put you into one, you know? And so everything you know, like we talked about in the last episode is um, when we were figuring out how you get your Enneagram type, we like everyone, well, not everyone, I won't say that, but most people kind of agree that you're born with a temperament, but not necessarily your type. So you're more inclined to become a certain type probably through your temperament because your type is kind of created through confirmation bias. So if you're looking back at childhood wounds, um, I'm going to talk to me specifically because that's kind of like the best reference point I feel confident in. But for seven, the childhood wound is about feeling that the nurturing parental figure was taken away too soon. Like the nurturing was taken away too soon. And that is not the child. It's very important to say that the childhood wound is not necessarily a reflection of the parent. Um, it's more of confirmation bias of the child. So the temperament I was born with, I was looking for when the nurturance was being taken away too soon. And when I saw that, it confirmed the bias I had in my head. And so over time of that happening, I created the ego personality of a seven. And your ego personality is kind of 
what your ego of the self has created as a means of defending against the world and coping with the information you've been given, um, but it is not your identity. So I think that's what the Enneagram is really important, like what they really try to stress in the Enneagram is we're not trying to over-identify with our type because our ego personality is ruling us and it doesn't have to be that way. And so it helps you appreciate your type, but understand that you don't have to over-identify with it because the ego personality is just this, this personality we've cultivated as a means of processing the world and defending ourselves against it. And so the Enneagram and the, the work with it is kind of how you can strip that away and open yourself to the world as a, instead of guarding yourself against it, I guess, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you had talked about how, um, kind of like going back a little bit, you talked about like, um, in 2020, like you really started practicing presence. And so then like going off of that, now that we're in 2021 is present something now that you're like consciously putting an effort into practice in 2021? Are there other aspects of the Enneagram that you're really focusing on in 2021? Or is it just like, no, I'm just still trying to hone in on practicing presence? I think presence will be something that will, is like a, a never ending practice. Mm. I will say I've noticed how it's gotten a lot easier. Um, and I think that's in part due to the work I'm doing in therapy with the Enneagram stuff I'm doing. And it's interesting because a lot of the stuff we're working on in my MFA as well have, there was a whole chapter in our Alexander Technique class last semester about presence. And it was just like, whoa, what a neat link that this is all happening at the same time. And it was such um, a really enlightening chapter just about how we can be present as an actor and what we're doing, but it, completely related to how I can do it in my daily life and how I can be more present and really be aware and live moments fully. Um, and so I will, I can tell the growth I've experienced as this has become a practice and I can tell that it's beginning to get a little bit easier, um, bringing awareness to when I'm not present and when I can be but it's, it's never going to be something I've like accomplished. Like, I think it's going to be something that I'll continue to do, but it is directly linked to every other aspect that I've been working on with the Enneagram and working on it myself, because I have such a love for like self-development. I don't know. I'm constantly interested in listening to podcasts about it or listening to books or reading books or um, reading articles and just so much of that psychological self improvement, self-betterment, self-development. Um, I just think the brain is fascinating. And so anything that I guess illuminates why I do the things I do um, and how I can be better in control of what I do and how I'm thinking um, is so fascinating to me. And so I think that um, presence will definitely always be a main priority. Uh, but I think it's just so it's like everything else is just a branch out of presence, I feel like. And so that's why I, um, it'll always be center, I think, and everything, if we're not present, you can't really work on anything else, you know, like if you're not truly present, you can't work on much else. But I think that will definitely be the focal point of 2021, but also something that just completely shifted how I see so much 
and how I communicate with people in 2020, like how, what happened for me in 2020 that I will be taking to 2021 is it just, I can't, it was so like, once I really, this clicked in my brain, I have just not been the same. And I, I don't like to think it was life changing, but it, it was because it was like, holy crap, like everything in my perspective is so different. And that is other people's behavior has nothing to do with you. And I think I, per, I just, as a, uh, my instinctual variant is social. And so I'm constantly aware of how I'm being accepted by other people, what other people are thinking of me, like how I'm working in a group. Do I belong? Are people, you know, constantly aware, like afraid of what they're thinking about me? And it's just become so clear that other people like, lashing out or snapping or being judgmental or any negative thought that other people might have toward you has nothing to do with you. So unless you've done something, obviously, like if, if you've been rude or if you've been like, if you've done something that you have a right to, you need to apologize for, that's excluded from this. But if you've done nothing and someone has just been really judgmental of you or said something rude about you or that has nothing, it has nothing to do with me. And I used to take it so personally and just think about it. And how can I make this person like me? And how can I, like, what am I doing wrong? What am I, what should I, and it, it, it just, it has been the biggest liberation to just recognize that if somebody lashes out, if they're irritable or if they're whatever, just they're working through something that has nothing to do with me because what bothers us and other people is what bothers us in ourselves. And so that's been a two way street because when they're bothered by something in me, I, it immediately is like, oh, like they're, they're bothered about this and themselves in some way. So they're going through something and I don't need to judge them for that. Like that has nothing to do with me. I don't need to take this personally and that can just roll off my shoulders and hopefully eventually they'll be able to reflect and figure out why that bothered them. But even if they don't, it has nothing to do with me. Like it, it doesn't. And then for me, if I, because as a seven, my stress point is one. And one big thing that I can do is I can be really judgmental sometimes. And so being really honest with myself, I'll look at somebody or if, if I have a judgmental thought, I immediately say, okay, why did that bother you? Like, what, what about that bothered you? You know, are you jealous that you are, you don't have something that they have? Are you like, do you wish something were different about yourself? Like, why did that bother you? And if I'm really honest with myself, I can say that bothered me because, you know, or if I, I don't know, if I go like, ew, that outfit's ugly. <laughs> I don't know. I will look back and go, okay, are you jealous that you don't feel confident enough in the clothes you leave the house in? So you feel the need to judge this girl's clothes because she did feel confident enough to leave the house in that. And just being able to recognize that in me goes, okay, like this has something to do with me. Like I need to work on this in me. And recognizing that that's true for us gives more credibility to the fact that it is true for other people. And so mm -hmm. I just don't, I, I'm no longer as affected. Not that this happens often, but I'm no longer affected by if somebody were to latch out or if I were to fear that people, I don't, I don't fear, are people talking about me or like, should I be doing something differently about myself? Should I make myself more accepted by others? I don't worry about that anymore, which has just been such a weight off my shoulders because I've carried that through my whole life of trying to feel like I belong because I never have felt like I belonged. And so now that I just don't bother myself with that, I've opened a door in my life to care about so many other things and have put energy towards so many other things that are important to me. 
And that's just not important to me because it has nothing to do with me when people are like that. That was so much, sorry, that was so much talking. And it's just, it's such a topic that's been like at the forefront of my brain because it's been so transformative so recently that I could just, I could talk about it forever, but. (laughs) Right before we leave, you know, this, um, this conversation, do you, do you attach this, um, uh, uh, this attempt to, uh, to figure or guess um, someone's Enneagram number, you know, um, when, when you catch yourself judging or, or backtracking from judging, are you Mm -hmm. also trying to, that person's probably a seven as you're asking your questions? (laughs) Um, I don't know if I necessarily do that in moments like that, because, it's also so clear to me that behavior is not going to tell me as much about somebody's Enneagram as their motivations are. So I can, of course, my natural like default is I'm always trying to figure out what people are. And so of course I'm constantly thinking that and I probably always have hunches of people that I'm around enough to, cause like I'll pick up on what I think someone is through the way they talk about things, things they care about, things that their, their energy goes toward or their attention goes toward, or if they even talk about like, oh, well, this is why I do something like this. Or if I'm thinking about this, this is why. So when I, when they, when I hear them talk enough about things that are more motivating, like what motivates them to do things, that's when I latch on to, oh, I bet you're this type or you seem like this type or you know, like whatever, like even the other day when I was watching Taylor Swift's documentary on Disney plus of her like folklore album, incredible. Oh my gosh. Just listening to her talk about so many things. And I, I mean, I know she's a three, but listening to her talk about so much of like why she wrote the song she did or how she thinks or views the world was just like, oh, she's such a three. Like she's such a three. Like that, that make it's such a three thing to think. And so that, that happens when people are talking about it in that way. But if I'm judging something, or if I'm picking up on someone's behavior, I'm less inclined to try to type them because so many different types can look the same through their behavior. And if they're living in a stress point, they can look like their stress point, but they're not their stress point, you know? So like in high school, I probably looked a lot like a one because I was really irritable, really judgy, really emotional, and really just like rigid. Um, not that ones are like that, but I was being the, I was taking on the unhealthy aspects of a one because that was my stress point. I wasn't living as like a, a healthy one because I'm not a one. And so I probably looked like that, but I'm not that. So I, I typically don't want to guess people's type or like try to think what people are based on what behaviors they're exhibiting. Cause it's more about listening to them talk about themselves and what drives them, that's when I start, my gears start turning, and I'm like, oh, what are you? Yeah. Yeah, the first time I took the test, like, it said that I was a one, and I was like, man, I'm the perfectionist, dang, (laughs) I, like, told my friend, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, of course, but then, like, looking back, I was like, okay, yeah, but looking at my life at that time, I was, like, in dance class all day long, looking for all the things I did wrong, so, of course, I was, like, in this Mm -hmm. super perfectionistic mindset, but yeah, and then when like, yes. I took the the le- more legit test, and it was like, no, you're a seven, but you should probably work on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. We did. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. That's good. <laughs> Kaylin, you are just you sound like 
it's insane how self-aware you are like the way that oh, you can just so like kind. and then like you're like wait why am I thinking this so that is something that I really do want to improve on so how is this just something that takes a long time like practice and just being aware like how have you become so self-aware um that's first of all that's very kind um I I will say partly for me um I've kind of always, I wouldn't say self-aware, but I've always have a very sure sense of self as a kid and growing up. And that's why I knew like in middle school when I didn't really fit in with people, even though I tried because I thought that's what I wanted. I always had a very strong sense of like, I'm not like these people that I'm trying to fit in with. And it wasn't until college when I found like people that I was like, oh, I'm like these people. I like these artists, like these are my people. Um, so I've, I've always had a very strong connection, I guess, to myself. And I think everybody does. It just, it, it's a matter of how you can find that connection, how you can let, like strip away everything else to get to that connection. And I do think that's a seven thing. I think a lot of sevens do have a very strong sense of self. Um, but I think it's possible for every type. Everybody just has different obstacles. I think it does take time to be really self-aware, but I think the biggest thing is just, especially with the Enneagram that can like forces you to observe your behavioral patterns, the more you practice that and the more you try to like, if you can try to remember in times of if you're really stressed or you've something is really um, emotionally charging, I guess, if you can try to always think, okay, let me, I'm feeling this way. So this is a perfect time to step back and observe and, and reflect. I think reflection is a big thing. I think journaling is a really great thing. Um, I think mindfulness and meditation is a really like, it, it just allows for clarity and letting go of a lot of those things that are kind of swirling around in your brain so that it can settle and you can kind of find that connection to yourself because you're letting go of everything else that's obstructing that connection. And so I think the biggest thing though is dedicating or like, yeah, like making sure that you dedicate time for reflection and try in those moments of something really emotionally charging or something that you feel really affected by, because those are going to be the moments that are so impulsive that you don't have time to think about being reasonable or whatever, and then observing and, and questioning it. Just keeping that curiosity, I guess, about yourself alive and how you can um, just reflect on that. And so it's difficult because obviously like when you're in the moment or you're really angry about somebody that just cut you off or, you know, like you have major yeah, road rage about something, you, the last thing you're going to want to do is go like, okay, let me think about like, why did this bother me? Like, <laughs> that's the last thing you're going to do, but, or want to do. But I think it's just a matter of just continuing your days and um, remaining curious about your behavior, observing your patterns and then reflecting on them. And then over time, it does just get easier. It gets, it, because you do it, it becomes kind of like a, a muscle memory, like a mental muscle memory or something. And so you'll start to do it because psychologically we can change, we can create habits, we can break habits and we can change the default of which we think, you know? And so um, it's just, it's, it's practice and time. But I think, yeah, everything you do with Enneagram, that because it illuminates so much about you, it becomes easier because you'll pick up on like, oh, I know why I did that. And then you sit back and you think about it. But I think it all boils down to just like 
promising to stay curious about yourself and reflect on moments that are extremely affecting, whether they're positively, they positively affect you or they really negatively affect you. Just those are the perfect moments to really take a step back and reflect on why they positively or negatively affected you. If that helps, if that makes sense. That's so good. Okay. I love that you framed it in like the sense of like being curious about yourself. I feel like I do that all the time. That like the other day, I remember I was like anxious about something, and I did exactly what you said, and I like stopped and I was like, "But why do you feel this way?" And I was like, "Because so and so is angry with me." And I was like, "Did they say they were angry with you, or do you think they're angry with you?" <laughs> oh, I think it for sure. And I was like, "I have no proof." And I was like. <laughs> you should stop. <laughs> I was like, you just need to chill. <laughs> yeah, I do that all the time. It's like a little self-therapy moment. Yes, <laughs> and I think too, because a big mindfulness practice um, is just allowing, I don't know, five, ten minutes for you to sit and just try not to, like, try not to think about anything because you will think about things, but then when you, whatever you think, don't judge it. Like there's no judgment toward your thoughts because the more we judge and like shove away, the less we can mm. reflect. So thoughts are just thoughts. They, they aren't realities. They aren't like, oh, I think this, so it must be true. Like you don't have, you don't have to like uh, apply a label to everything you're thinking. So just times, if you can just take those five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, however long you want and just sit in silence and allow things to think. And when they come up, just go, okay, interesting. And don't place any judgment on it at all and just let it pass. And then the next thing that comes up, oh, interesting, that's a thought. And then the more you do that and the, like, the more you, your brain begins to trust that, oh, I can think things and I won't judge them, you kind of bring a little bit more self-awareness because it's so complicated in your brain. It's crazy. It's just crazy how complex it is. Like I, I can't wrap my head around, obviously, like... It's just yeah. insane, which is why it's so fascinating to me. But the more you do that, the more your brain will think like, oh, it's safe for me to think these things and I, I won't like try to shove it away, you know? And so then when that door opens, that ability to reflect becomes a little bit easier because you're not defaulting to just like halting a thought, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. anything that pops up, you're not shoving it away and cutting it off. You allow it, if you hold space for all the thoughts that you have without placing judgment or shame or criticism on them, um, or even positive judgment, it just, you can just think freely and then dismiss the thoughts that are not useful to that moment and like really hold on to the moments that are important or like that you do want to put energy toward. And so then it kind of comes easier. It's just so crazy that we can like train our brains to do things and like that's a wild, it's just wild. Like, <laughs> I have a question. So you had said kind of like observing your thoughts, like without judgment and kind of thing, which kind of reminds me of like, um, like a five on the Enneagram, like they're the observer, like they do that a lot. And I know sevens, cause like you're a seven, um, like they are supposed to move to five in growth and they actually take on those characteristics of the observer. So then my question is, like everything you just said, do you think that that comes so easily? Like Katie was like, how do you do that? Like, I'm trying to cultivate that. Like, do you think that process might be easier for fives and sevens? Cause sevens are grown to fives and fives already kind of live in that observation world. Or do you think that 
it's just as much of a struggle for everyone and there's not people who are more inclined to like view like their inner world in that way does that make sense as a question yeah yeah no it does and i think that it probably is a little bit easier for fives sixes and sevens because our we're in the head triad so our default is thinking about things yeah. and two twos three fours and eight nines and ones are defaulted in feeling or reacting you know and so it comes up i guess a little bit more difficult to even people that are really analytical in the gut triad or the heart triad um i think that because five sixes and sevens brains are just always going like they're just always going like our brains are just like it's exhausting honestly like just how much is happening in the brain and it's just so much information um i think that that may be why for fives and sevens it can be a little bit easier to ask those questions because our brains are just working so quickly all the time about random things or important things or chaotic things or just literally anything and so i think as sevens yeah move toward and it's really interesting because you, if you look at the levels of development, we all, most of us all live in the average levels. So when we are living in our stress point, we're taking on the average, like, like aspects of our stress point. And when we're secure in a situation, we're taking on the average aspects of our growth point. We're not taking on the healthy like parts of our growth point if that makes sense because that's like if you're up in like levels one two and three and most of us live between three and six and we just kind of fluctuate between those levels of development and so it's not that we're taking on really wonderful qualities of the five they exist in us but we we're most likely taking on the average quality of the five so that can be really like analytical and investigative and like really introspective and trying to figure that out and so I do think that comes as a default but it's not necessarily not necessarily that we have just like extreme clarity about things because we are still taking on the average parts of the five but I do agree Katie I think that that is possible that those types that live in the thinking triad it may come just a little bit easier because we're constantly thinking and analyzing and so as a seven when we are trying to like be secure in a situation and um, find mental clarity and be in a state of mental peace, that five kind of shows up and that curiosity is just kind of like natural. Um, so I do think it, but I think it still is challenging for any type because every type has different obstructions and whatever level of development you're living in, kind of like whatever your anchor point is, you can, you have different obstacles, you know, that even a five, if they have different obstacles that are keeping them from having that natural clarity and understanding yeah. that they have. Um, I think that it's just, it is, it's a case by case basis, I think, but it's a long winded way of saying, I do think that the, the triad that we live in does make it a little bit easier, just like the heart triad. It's a little bit more difficult for us to get to the heart point, you know, whereas that just comes really naturally to twos, threes, and fours. It's something we have to really work toward. So I think that the way we feel about accessing that heart point is how the heart and gut triads feel about having to access the, the thinking center. Mm. Deep. Yes, it takes me a, a minute to get into like 
the self like awareness state because I'm I want to just go to like but how is this like actually making me feel and mm-hmm. I have to get into like, you know, just, like logically think about this like analyze with your brain a little bit too you know because yeah. I just I'm so like how is this affecting other people or like how do I feel about this situation versus okay think like use your noggin um (laughs) which is hard but Instagram has really helped shape that and I think it's also made me so aware of how I communicate with others and I think that that's like one of the greatest tools ever is understanding how different we are and how cool it is that we can learn about each other and how to better communicate and love the people around us which is like Mm -hmm. blowing that we have that capacity now you know yes yeah that's exactly how I feel like because I'm significant like this... yeah oh yes oh my god <laughs> and it's so and you know like we live in a world right now that tells us Theo I'm so sorry I should have muted myself but um uh we live in a world right now that's telling us like you know or it's media and you know that the dangers of that but it's telling us that like your significant other should just understand everything about you you should just have this insane unspoken connection to where they just know your wants needs loves and fears and it's like no you have to sure that initial connection is really important but like you have to learn how to love each other and I think that love languages are very important I think that is very very important but I think the Enneagram is so helpful for that because the more we can understand ourselves and the more we can understand our partners we can have, we can hold greater compassion for them and then recognize how we can be better partners for them if they're also willing to learn how to be better partners for us, you know? Mm -hmm. And so my boyfriend and I, like, it's been, you know, three years and we're still, I love where we are now. Like looking back, it's like, whoa, the growth that we've had of understanding how to love each other has been so great but it's so we're still learning you know we're still learning that the best ways to love each other and the enneagram has helped so much with that because where i might have before i've known he was an eight get you know defensive or um like he loves to debate loves to debate obviously like he's an eight and he is in law school and that's he loves to debate but we've had so many conversations where i have been taken personally why like when he's debating i i'm thinking you're questioning my intelligence and as sevens you know we really we pride ourselves on being intelligent we pride ourselves on we do have a wisdom and sevens and so when he would debate with me about something i would caught my default was like oh he's questioning whether or not i know enough about this topic to talk about it and so i would get defensive yet another ego thing me thinking i i i fear that i'm not i'm insecure that i'm not smart enough so I'm getting defensive, but over multiple discussions and just him being, I'm so grateful that he is so willing to be as communicative and introspective that we can have this level of communication. But he was like, no, like I love debates because I want to hear your thoughts and I want to keep debating the idea because I don't have, I don't have an opinion, like I have an opinion, but I completely respect if yours is different. And I just love the energy that comes from discussing this topic not necessarily who's gonna win the argument like I don't that's not what I want from this and so that allowed me to see where his brain was coming from in a way that I otherwise would not have but I understand that eights just love to argue not argue but they love to discuss and debate 
in a healthy way when they are acting from a healthy place because they just love to have the intense conversation. And I now, whenever he brings up something, I no longer get defensive about it because it, I know that what I was telling myself is not the truth. And so that was just a great example of recognizing how the Enneagram and understanding one another can just allow for greater compassion and just less judgment because it's like, oh, I'm meeting you where you are. I understand that the narrative I was telling myself is not the truth. And now we can have this discussion and understand where each other's coming from. It's just, it's been, it's been so helpful in my relationship with um, Robert, but also friends and family. It just, it's, it's so helpful for relationships of all types, I think. And that's another reason why I'm just so grateful that we have this tool because it can, I think that it can be so helpful for everyone. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> I really have thing to say, uh, not really a question, but you're <laughs> hearing you talk about eights and I'm an eight. <laughs> I'm saying, yes, I am. <laughs> 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 but I enjoy uh, more information on a topic. I can bring up a topic or a topic can be um, addressed. And immediately I want to wrap as much information around that because I'm excited um, uh, about whatever outcome, the unknown, the result, you know, mm -hmm. within that conversation, the discussion, it leads to sometimes a debate or argument or whatever it is. But I'm just nodding away. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like your motive is not I want to make you feel the way I feel. And so sometimes I think the intensity of the eight can come across as I want to be right. But it's not if we can recognize like, oh, their motivation is just they want they enjoy the intensity of this conversation because they want more information. They want more information so we can talk about it. And we can discuss it and we can have ideas. And then at the end of the conversation, it's like, okay, great. We can, we can end this conversation with different ideas or opinions and that's okay. And so I think understanding that allows people who typically might've seen the eight as, oh my gosh, you're really like domineering. And this, you're coming across in a way that makes me feel like you are accusing me of not having a good enough opinion. We can go, oh, that's not what's happening. That the eight, like they're just really, they really love the intensity of this argument. And that's not true for everybody, but you know, some people do get really argumentative and if an eight is acting in an unhealthy way, it can be coming from a place of, I want you to have my opinion or my beliefs, but most of the time that's not the case. Most of the time it is just that if we can recognize that what our, we're telling ourselves is not the case, we can allow eights to have that kind of conversation and we can enjoy it and we can go, oh, okay, like I get why you're doing this and now I can engage in this conversation with you. But it's, that's, yeah, it's so, it's so interesting. And that's something I've had to learn firsthand dating an eight and having a very strong eight wing, because if we have different opinions, sometimes I like want to go head to head about it. Um, but now I, I like, it's gotten easier of going like, okay, cool. So you can have this discussion and then walk away having different opinions and that's okay. Okay. <laughs> so like, I don't know what I'm trying to ask, but like how, do you think that all of the information that you've just shared, you've 
shared so much, but how do you think that could transform like the creative space? Like how does having the information you just shared about like knowing people's motivations and practicing presence, like how can that transform our artistic outlets? Mm -hmm. um, I can speak to this only from the acting perspective right now. Um, but another thing that came up in the proposal when I was trying to convince them of why this was so important and why they should give me money um, I was really reflecting on how this has been used in my training process and how I've seen it success. And the biggest thing that was like, oh, light bulb, like I get it. like another reason why I get it. Um, I let me figure out like the best way to put this. Um, if I prior to the Enneagram, if I had a character and I was looking at it and I'd read the play, we had had the discussions, we had had the table reads, I had gone through and tried to figure out my character's backstory and what they're wanting, their objective, everything. That's great. That That's fantastic. And that's what you, you know, we do as actors. Um, and I think that's, it's totally possible. People have been doing it for years to create fully fleshed out characters without any use of the Enneagram. But what I think the Enneagram brings to the table and has brought to the table in terms of me and my artistry is I'll give the example of I auditioned last January for Red Mountain Theater Company's um, production of Kinky Boots. Um, and I had, you know, 24 hours to prepare, not even 24 hours to prepare for the callback the next day. And um, uh, I was just given, you know, a side and the song I was supposed to sing. And when I was looking at the callback, I was able to like look at the scene I was um, about to do. And I was questioning, you know, like, who is Nicola? What does she want from this scene? You know, like, what is her relationship to Charlie? What is all of this that's happening? And then I decided to type her. And I was able to type her as a three. And what was happening in the specific scene is that she was, it's set in Britain, and she was wanting to move to London, I think, to pursue real estate. I think that was her big thing. And she wanted to be, like, a big real estate, like, icon. And um, wanted to move to London to do it, but Charlie wanted to stay in whatever tiny town they were in. I don't really remember the name of it. Um, and she was like, like, what about me? Like, why don't you care enough about me to move? All this stuff. And I was able to type her as a three. And whereas I could have still gone into that scene going, okay, she's hurt by the fact that he would, re he, he feels like he's choosing this small town over her and her dreams, you know? that would be what I would have walked into that scene with. And that's great information to have, you know, like that's clear enough to understand the relationship that, you know, you're having with this partner. But once I was able to type her as a three, it just clicked in on a deeper level. And it was like, oh, at the root of this, she feels that if she's not able to move to London, she will bring no value to the world. She will get stuck in this tiny town doing some mundane job that she doesn't love and she will become invaluable, worthless, and her image is so important to her and she can't cultivate that in this tiny British town. So she needs to move to London. She needs to achieve these goals. She needs to move there. And what she's not getting from her partner is that he is not valuing her enough to, uh, to support her dreams. And so that was just instantly so much more information to work with. And it was just a complex and deeper understanding of this character to be able to walk into that scene and have a greater understanding of who she was and what her objective was from the scene and why at the root it was so hurtful. And most of the characters that we do are not self-actualized. So it's not like we're trying to like, 
oh, these really like introspective characters that can know everything. But because we, as the actor, know the root of their motivations, we can perform the scene or the production or whatever. And that's always the base of what we're doing. And we know that. And so for me and my acting, I feel like it's just, it's just allowed for such a deeper, more rich connection to the character. And it's given me a clear, like, image of what their objective is, what their super objective is for the play. And then because the Enneagram is so complex and it's not trying to put you in a box, I never feel like my characters are confined to a box because we have all the types in us and our stress point and our growth point come into play and our wings come into play. And so it never feels like, oh, I have to act as the stereotypes of this type throughout this whole play. It's not like that. It's so much more fluid. And so... I can say in one of the shows we did Hand to God, I was able to type my character as a one. And so it allowed me to understand like, oh, she's moving into her stress point of a four. And that's why she's acting so impulsive and hopelessly romantic and fantasizing and all of these things and, it, and, and why she's motivated to do that. And then I, as the actor, feel motivated to make those choices. And so it just, it just, it's like a whole, like everything just kind of falls into place when I use it in my artistry and my training. And it, I just feel so much more deeply connected to the character. And then I feel like I can tap into that character as me and then live that more truthfully. And so I, I believe that it's so, so um, possible for dancers and musicians and other people to use it as well. Um, maybe in a more like how we as the dancer and our type are connected or if they're choreographing and they want to choreograph for a different type or a character in their piece is going to be a type or something that's also possible um and i think that that there's so much to dig into in those other worlds especially dance and movement um but that's how personally it's affected me and my training in the world of acting yeah, like, I was, as you were talking about it, I was like, how does this, like, interpret into dance? And then, like, one of my first thoughts was, like, well, how could you embody a type instead of, like, making a character? And so, like, for an eight, they're super, like, kind of more aggressive, like, just a more aggressive type, and, like, they know what they think, and, like, they're gonna die on a hill, even if, like, they're, like, not 100% for sure, like, they just like the discussion, it's, like, how could that energy affect your movement versus a two who is like super supportive in how they interact with others? Like how does that then change the relationship? Mm -hmm. if you take on those aspects of that type and that would be a cool thing to do. Yeah. And then like what music represents what type and how you can use that music to pair with the movement of that type and how the whole, just because all the arts are connected just as all humankind and the universe and everything is connected and so it's just like the beauty and of the possibility we have with using Enneagram in the arts is being able to share that story and tell that story through movement and music and combining that and showing like oh this is what because I think what's so beautiful about dance is it just as all the arts is it, it, it just taps into in the audience or the viewer something that's so connected to the soul. Like it, it doesn't, it's inexplainable. It's, um, it's just such uh, watching anything of the arts, the energy of it just immediately connects the viewer to how they feel in their soul. Something they don't have any words for, it's unspoken. It's just this magical experience that we get to have as humans. And so 
being able to like make movement with music that represents a type can just without words speak directly to a person and allow them to see that type with compassion or empathy or just understanding and so it's just so it continues to be so fascinating to me the possibilities that we have and even Uh, like I was just thinking like even in like how you teach to describe like I feel like there's a lot of moments where I feel like dancers feel compared to another dancer but it's almost like um for instance like if Katie Breland was doing something she's a two and like if the teacher was like I want you to watch Katie Breland do this like what is it that attracts you to her and like you could even put it in terms of like okay could you embody like Katie Breland's type and how like I feel like when people watch Katie Breland dance they feel connected to her like on a different level and so it's like not even necessarily her movement which is stunning but it's like you feel connected to her the person Mm -hmm. and I think twos do that really well whereas like um who's another dancer like Michaela Pierce is another dancer I know she's an eight on the Enneagram and when she moves I feel that she's just very intense and I connect with her intensity and so like instead of just being like move like Michaela Pierce does you could be like no can you match her intensity and I feel like that is even a different switch in like or like can you connect like Katie Breland connects you know yeah things like I think that could change even the way you teach and to think like Caitlin you said a few minutes ago like how you don't feel like you're ever in a box because all of the numbers are inside of us like as a teacher to be like you have the elements of the eight inside of you you have the two the three like it's in you we just gotta find ways to pull it out yeah I think as a just as a human being that's encouraging because I I want to grow from this like I I love you know there's so many elements that we all love of ourselves but there's so many that we like I bawled my eyes out when I read about the two. Cause I was like, I feel so connected, but also like there's a lot of hurt that comes with that. And so just to think like we have so many numbers in us and such possibility to grow towards them. I did. I don't know that when you said that, it just was like, Oh, I, I have the eight in me too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's so just for people and our deep need right now to, connect to one another as opposed to hating one another it's like okay I have this type in me that that person is and that allows me to understand something in myself to meet them with more understanding rather than just immediately hating them for some you know like whatever the reason may be it's just so interesting on a human behavioral level it's so interesting on like a societal level and an artistic level um, but I think that's so true, both Katie's of being able to like speak to people you're dance, I mean, teaching, um, from that point of view so that they understand. Cause it's like, it's like the same thing of, you know, be more this or do it's like, well, how, like, you're not telling me how to do that, but the use of like words and language are so important and being able to understand the Enneagram so that you can use it to communicate so that the dancers and students are like, okay, wait, I know how to do that for myself without feeling like, how am I supposed to imitate Michaela Pierce? How am I supposed to imitate Katie Breland? Like, how am I supposed to make that happen? I don't, I don't know how to do that. The different words and the intention behind them is like allows for, okay, no, I know how to tap into that myself. And if you are creating a piece or maybe the story has the energy of an eight or the energy of a nine or whatever, being able to know like 
as a director or choreographer, this is what I'm asking of you, being able to use that terminology can allow them to go, okay, I know how to tap into that in myself so that I can bring that voice to this piece without it being inauthentic or trying to copy someone else, you know? Like instead of saying, oh, this piece is about, a, you know, a three. So, you know, instead of trying to look like the three in the classroom, it's like, okay, how can I tap into the three in me so that I can be the dancer in this piece that is asked of me so that they're not going, okay, well, how can I compare myself to this person and imitate what they're doing? That's not what we need you to do. We need, to, we need your voice to be brought to the table. And so how can we communicate that effectively? And I think that that is totally possible. And yeah, I love it. Oh my gosh. It's a, um, uh, a resource I refer to as like a filter. <laughs> I was talking about this, I'm going to geek out a little bit just about movement. I was talking about uh, this last week. Um, and we the discussion was framed around improvisation and the the creative void that we have to fill not just dancers but the creator the creative has to fill in that and we have we always have a problem and this is what i believe i claim to say excites us and it's speaking out a little bit but you said universal i'm allowed <laughs> but 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 two dimensions, whether it's a sheet of music, whether it's a play or anything, we have this inspiration on this two dimension mm -hmm. and take whatever we see in two dimensions and then it has to jump to three. But that's uh. what I, what I, what, what, what fascinates me about the Enneagram is it gives me a resource as an instructor to, to share with a student who's who's excited and they just want to make that leap and maybe they are making that leap and I'm like, oh no, you're leaping over important things here. You're jumping over some important information. We need to, we need to measure these events. And I feel like the Enneagram provides um, the, the how um, mm -hmm. to do so without me. I believe you can't teach that. You can't teach how to fill that void, but the Enneagram inspires. Um, do you agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to say it is Enneagram inspires and encourages the individual to find what they need to jump from two dimensional to three dimensional, to be able to look mm -hmm. and the self-awareness that the Enneagram brings allows them to go, okay, how can I as an artist use my artistry and the voice I've been given individually how can I use that to look at this sheet music or play or whatever on paper and use that to jump into a three-dimensional, real, truthful world, whether it be through music, acting, um, dance, whatever, um, or visual arts. I think that, yeah, no, I think that that's an important point because you can't teach that because everybody's so different too and you don't know how to ask a person to, to figure that out. But I think through the Enneagram, it provides a structure and a tool of like, okay, we'll go learn about yourself and then you will know how to do what I'm asking you to do. Yeah. 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 But at least that's direction rather than saying, yeah. figure it out. Right. Or, right. It's like, here's how you can figure it out. Right. And that's not it. I need more period. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. More what? Yeah. <laughs> Truth. Mm. Oh, man. 
Well, I think we're almost out of time for this week, but I guess just a final like question is going deeper. Like what is one practice that you think we could all start to help us like cultivate just like the mindfulness and the presence and everything you were talking about? Um, that's kind of a cool way to bookend this because it was kind of how we started talking about curiosity. I think just allowing the channel for curiosity and yourself, um, and trying to not ever just go through a day without questioning why you did the things you did, why you thought the things you did. Um, and even if that means at the end of the day, picking certain things that stuck out to you and journaling about it, or, um, just sitting and meditating about it or talking about it in therapy or whatever you need to do. I think just keeping that channel of curiosity open into yourself will allow deeper cultivation for self-awareness, understanding, empathy, self-compassion, which you then, when we love ourselves, we can better love others. And so I think that the Enneagram is a great way of self-care. Um, and so I think that that would just be one of the biggest practices I would say is just finding different ways that you personally can stay curious about yourself. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well said. Well, then you guys, I guess we're going to sign off for this week, but as always, we like to end our episodes by asking a simple question. And so I'm going to start with you, James. Do you believe that anyone can move? (laughs) I do. By proof of the Enneagram, anyone can move. (laughs) All right, Katie Breland, do you believe anyone can move? I believe anyone can move. I love it. I love it. I didn't ask myself, but I also believe anyone can move. (laughs) Caitlin, do you believe anyone can move? Oh, I wholeheartedly believe anyone can move. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, this was another episode of Anyone Can Move season two. And thank you all so much for listening. And we hope to see you next time. Bye.